Hello, Gamer Nation. This is GM Armand, and I just want to say, podcast. Hey, guys, go kiss a Wookiee, you scruffy-looking nerf herders. Greetings, Gamer Nation. It is I, Andy, also known as Ravenwing, co-host of the Game On podcast. And I never listen to the Order 66 podcast. Execute Order 66. Um, hello, Gamer Nation. It is a little bit later on Sunday, February 15th than we would like, but we are getting started here with the Order <laughs> 66 podcast. And for the first time in the better part of three weeks, you've got your old hosts back in the saddle again. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> What is up, Gamer Nation? It is I, GM Chris. I have returneth from vacation, F. And it was a good vacation. It was a fantastic vacation. So, uh, and of course, with me, as always, is my uh, ever-faithful co-host, technical wizard and Jedi in training, GM Dave. How the hell are you, man? I'm all right. Yeah? I got cheated out of about 47 laps of the uh, Daytona 500 because of rain. Oh. We'll, we'll talk about that in Daydreaming. Oh, I'm sure we will. <laughs> well, for those of you just walking into the room for the first time, this is, of course, the Order 66 podcast, the only fan-generated podcast devoted entirely to Star Wars Saga Edition role-playing, the greatest D20 system to ever grace the table of people playing on a table with 20-sided dice. <clears throat> yes. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Whatever. <laughs> Yes. Sorry, I forgot it. Oh, no. We're just it, out of it, sync. We're out of sync. We hadn't worked together in three weeks. Dude, what's up with that? I don't know. Whose fault get is that, sync? Mr. Getting back at 3 a.m.? Oh, good grief. Yeah. Flight delay back. That's nah, not your fault. It's nobody's fault. So, <laughs> well, let's talk some Star Wars, huh? Sure. Why not? Why not? Well, not yet. Well, no, we have announcements. Why don't, you, why don't you hit us with the first one, buddy? We have the upkeep phase. Oh. As, oh. As, the, as, the first, as the first of our shows would potentially say, if you listen to them, which I'm sure you do. Anyway, episode eight of Game On has shown up, and from what we understand, episode nine is on its way tonight. So yeah. uh, Brian and Andy, or Fiddleback and Ravenwing, wet rape... Fiddleback Raven. and Ravenwing are all up in your business when it comes to dice culture in Episode 8. And I'm sure that I'll find out from Fiddleback here in like seven seconds what Episode 9 is going to be about. But they're talking about board games and all that is good and clean and sweet with board games. And I really enjoy the podcast. And I will keep on listening. 
a good show. You know, they achieved new and notable status on iTunes, something that we never did. I know, which is a little jealous be rearing its ugly head, but that's okay. I know. And, um, yeah. Adventure so. Games, episode 9, is going to be about adventure uh, games, so there That's you go. very good. Oh, thank you, thank you. And, of course, uh, for those of you keeping up with the feeds, episode 14 of Radio Free Hamlet is there. Now! Yay! Uh, Tim and Kate share the glory of DDXP, where they are at right now, and they take the time to give us some live uh, stuff, uh, detailing all the new products that Watsi is going to be releasing for 4th uh, edition in the coming coming year. It's going to be... Let's hear it for live stuff. I'm all about the live stuff. Live stuff rocks. Yeah. Nice. We got a lot more casts that are up, man. The D20 Radio Network is just growing and growing and growing. We got like seven live casts out there now, and we got your another one, Geekapalooza, coming on the way. But I mean, mm. what else, man? I mean, I know episode three of one of our newest casts, uh, the Small but Vicious podcast. That's right. Cometh. Yep. Um, it is here. Yep. Uh, discussion of Warhammer RPG um, in the U.S. is the paramount topic for that episode. And I haven't had a chance to listen to it yet, but I want to. I haven't either. But uh, Old School is doing some. Some goodness when it comes to talking about that. Yep. And did you see that episode number two made it up and it didn't even take a year of GM Brev asking about it? Can you believe it? They're talking about line of sight and all that is good and sweet about Princess Leia. That's episode two of Minnie's Mayhem? Episode two, Minnie's Mayhem, GM Brev, GM Tenny. Yes, indeed. I'm, I, I love minis. I don't. I don't get a chance to play as often as I like. But I'm not a. I'm not an awesome fanatic like Brev is. But um, I'm very excited to get their show off the ground. Absolutely. And then of course, um, our on, our go. other our other I guess RPG related cast, which is all about heroic role playing. Uh, meanwhile, the Superpowered Gaming Podcast is up where DM David from RFH fame and yep. mostly Joe talk about the cinematic Unisystem. Ah, yes. Great. Awesome. And um, lastly, of course, uh, I guess you can tell us about... Uh... The Holocron! Oh, yes, Holocron. indeed. Epi- so basically, every one of our shows has a new episode up uh, from the D20 Network. Life is great. Anyway, um, on episode or chapter or whatever, Holocron number six, we talk about the hut world, the second hut home world that is now corrupted completely. And all the dank qualities that that exhibits. And the cantina. Indeed, we talk about the cantina, which looks to be fantastic in game. So that's going to be our meeting spot for the Order of 66. We talk a little bit about the uh, guild as well, coming up in Star Wars The Old Republic. That's awesome. I can't wait to hear. I've seen some of the screenshots, dude. They look incredible. and I mean, the, the footage looks... Amazing. I, I hope the game is everything I think it's going to be, and if so, I pity my life and my wife because my free time will be sucked away from me. That's right. So, so there yeah. you go. Yeah. But what are you okay, do? so I want to say thank you and say hello. Sorry we're late to all. Wow, eighty-three of you in the chat room today. <laughs> it's just amazing. It is simply amazing that y'all hung out while I made dinner and, like, had dinner and all that with my girls, and you guys hung through there, and, wow, you guys are troopers. Join us on the video cast from d20radio.com on the homepage down the right side. We've got links to all the shows, and then finally it says live video, and there it is. Tell us, how else can they participate, sir? 
Well, they can, of course, uh, get their little voices on the podcast, or big voices, depending on your voice, uh, by, of course, calling the Lusa Line, which, of course, is 206-600-5872-LUSA. You're also welcome to email us if you guys have any questions for the show that you'd like us to delve into, anything of that nature for the D20 Docking Bay at, of course, Chris at d20radio.com, or Dave at d20radio.com, or, of course, you can become a member of the Gamer Nation. Log on to d20radio.com slash forum. Join the Gamer Nation, post your mind, get your voice heard, and become part of an amazing community. I know. The right time. Well, dude, you, you're the one who, I guess, got the email. So, I, 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 many of you have noticed that I'm not smoking a pipe right now. I'm smoking a cigar. And there is a reason for that. It is a celebratory cigar. Celebration ensues as the Order 66 podcast will be on the slate of nominations for... An any award. Yes, indeed, ladies and gentlemen, we have been allowed to submit count them five of our best episodes in a time frame that I have yet to actually get. So it's going to be sometime in the last six months, I would bet. Probably. Yeah. So I would bet that sometime in the next six months, we're going to be able to, I'm sorry, in the past six months, we will pick five episodes and submit them to the any board of judges and let them peruse our fine work. I hope so. This is this is very cool. It's one of those things that you, you know, we started this as, as just a freaking hobby and uh, just something fun. Two guys geeking out and sharing our love. And now it's like, hey, we, we're nominating you for an Emmy. It's like, oh, my God. I danced a jig. Literally, <laughs> I did. I danced a jig in your cube. Did I not? Yeah, you were. Yep. You were in our cube, in my cube. <laughs> and it, it's fantastic. Anyway, we're, we'll... Uh, we will compile our best of, basically, we're going to have to compile a best of CD with our best five episodes and uh, mail that off to a bunch of judges, and uh, and then we'll see what they think of it. And I, I think there's some listener uh, voting that also happens that obviously hasn't even begun to happen yet. We'll let you know when that happens. But in the meantime, what I'd like for everybody to do, if you have the opportunity and you have iTunes, is go on iTunes and leave us a review. We've been fortunate to get, I don't know, a half a dozen or a dozen reviews. Not very many, but they've all been five-star reviews, which we're very pleased about. But we don't push the whole review thing to get widgets and points and all that stuff. But now is the time when the Ennies judges go and look for that sort of thing. So if you guys don't mind, go on iTunes and leave us a nice review. And if you don't want to leave us a nice review, then that's fine, too. We're big boys. We can handle it. Leave us a review is what's most important. And while you guys are out there, a lot of you guys are uh, surfing the inner tubes. A lot of you guys are members of a lot of great forum communities devoted to role-playing and uh, a lot of them Saga Edition role-playing. Pimp us out whenever you can in a subtle way, please. Let's get our community growing. I see a lot of our members out there on various forums have posted links to uh, d20radio.com and their signatures. That's much appreciated. And uh, thank you guys for, for, for being part of our community, man. I, I just I can't say enough for our community. That's very right. awesome. So, what hit the intertubes this week, sir? Juicy bits of web goodness have been slathered all over the intertubes. Um, one absolutely big one. There's been, there was actually a lot that came out um, in the past couple weeks, and you guys talked about them without me, which right. is fine. Uh, yeah, <laughs> last we did. week on the Order 66 podcast. But now, of course, the talk amongst the role players who play Star Wars is that Episode 8 of the Dawn of Defiance campaign is here. Uh, the Gem of Alderaan, written by none other than Jedi Counselor Gary Sarley himself. Now we see why Jedi Counseling hasn't been updated in a while. Eh? Um, is now available for download with all the other modules of Dawn of Defiance completely for free at Witchers of the Coast Star Wars website. 
the final story arc begins with only a couple more modules to go before this amazing saga sees its final conclusion. And you can get them right now at www.wizards.com slash Star Wars. That's right. Who said you don't get anything for nothing? Play it, lot. report it. Play it and report it. Yes, yes, yes. Report it so we can get Living Force going again. <laughs> yep. And one final announcement. Uh, I got about 17 PMs. The contest hath ended. Oh. That's okay. It was a good contest. Um, I have asketh for your NPCs, and you, Gamer Nation, provided. Uh, so let's take a look. Uh, F. Uh, yeah. Um, at the, over a month ago, I threw down the gauntlet <laughs> to the Gamer Nation, um, and I asked for your best NPCs with fleshed-out backgrounds, cool concepts, and neat builds. But ultimately, I wanted something that could easily fit into a module uh, and, and into the Star Wars universe as well. And many of you submitted many, many times. But in the end, there can only be one winner. And after an exhaustive judging process, which took me an entire six-pack, um, it was a tough sell. Uh, many fine folks deserve honorable mentions, and all of the builds were absolutely fantastic. Um, honorable mentions, Darth Prefects Kaylee Ordana, Seikos and his Nina Tubi, uh, Zertz and his Mandalorian geezer, Carib Fenn, Donovan Morningfire with Venla Arita, and Mr. Fiss was great. And of course, full-on gamers, Mr. Smith. Heck, all of them. Um, I, I, I can, can't give props enough for so many amazing builds, and I can honestly say that many of these will see use in my mods and future games. But, but hold on, one second. There you go. Thank you. Oh, thank Break you. out the cheesy fanfare. Cheesy fanfare for, for the, the winner. winner. The one winner. For me, uh, the best in the bunch is the one that I found to be the most interesting and, more importantly and subjectively, usable in my campaign. <laughs> and that honor goes to Foxworthy and the Silver Eclipse Slavers. A beautifully designed organization with more than one NPC. I guess the actual winner would be the Tagorian Ilkut. Um, and a host of great ideas with that. Excellent work, sir. You are now the proud owner, uh, soon to be, of a D20 Radio t-shirt, and uh, I shall be in touch with you shortly for your information in that regard. Way to go, man. And anybody who reads comic books knows that Herbie Silver Surfer is the only true Silver Surfer. Way to, way to go. No, that's Silver Eclipse Slavers. <clears throat> it's very, oh. very, yeah. What? I wasn't listening. I'm sorry. Yeah, I know. It, it's okay. It's, it's all right. You're forgiven. I never this time. To Mostly because I'm excited about the any. <laughs> any nom. Oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So you were gone for three weeks. So now I'm sure you've got a bunch of postcards, right? Well, just one. Just one. Just one, really. Um, oh, all right. Yeah, it's kind of strange. Uh, uh, this is a simple and, and practical postcard. Um, and it bears a picture of a small gray moon orbiting a very large gas giant. And the wording on it reads... Welcome to Iktach, GM Chris. Commander Cody should have delivered this to you yesterday. We look forward to your visit in three years. Also, tell GM Dave it's only a rash. Oh, nice. From across the galaxy, it's time for postcards from Commander Cody. GM Dave and GM Chris. Hi guys. I wish I could write to you this week with some exciting news of fantastic battles and glory serving the Empire, but my squad has had a rather boring time of it. It's our duty to serve, and so we shall. We spent the last three weeks in the expansion region on guard rotation for the Iptoch blockade. 
It touches a rocky moon that orbits the gas giant Iktachon. The moon is the homeworld of the Iktachi people, a strange race of aliens with thick red skin and a pair of low-hanging horns that flank their heads. I've not heard too many good things about the Iktachi. Most people regard them as spies and saboteurs with strange mental powers that can invade men's minds and see into the future. I don't know too much about that. But there may be some truth to the rumor of their ability to see into the future. I'm told that when the Old Republic first discovered this world, the Iktachi were waiting, and they been expecting them for some time. I can also tell you that just before the Clone Wars ended, nearly every Iktachi across the galaxy emigrated back to Iktoch, where the population here already had massive orbital housing built and ready for them. They've sought no contact with the Glorious Empire, and have preferred to isolate themselves. The Emperor seems fine with this, didn't even bother assigning a planetary governor or a moth to the region. He just wants to ensure the Iktachi remain isolated, which is where we come in. A massive flotilla of a blockade constantly surrounds the Iktachon system, with ships and men on a continual rotation to do their duty by serving in the blockade. I'm not sure what everyone's so worried about, frankly. I I'm told the Iktachi are amazing pilots, but they can't be too worrisome if the Emperor is leaving them alone. The moon of Iktach itself is no treasure. Rather, a barren, rocky, windswept expanse with little food or water, and poor habitation capability. Ugh, oh well. All one can do is stare at the mountains and the rock deserts that completely cover it, and wait for reassignment. It's been a long three weeks, chaps. Long indeed. Well, later, guys. Long live the Empire! Your friend, Commander Cody. And now... Stormtrooper Poetry. As a trooper, I've seen enough to make my nights a little rough. Sleep comes hard to such as we. We close our eyes, yet still see. Friendless faces, faceless friends, all who've met untimely ends. The final sound of death's rattle, last words in final battle. Many other haunting sounds. Keep us awake in nighttime rounds. Though not once do I recall the voice that sounds out small, worried, lost, unprepared, perhaps ever so slightly scared. I hear it sometimes while on duty. Uh, uh, green five to green three, green five. Anybody know uh, where I am? Green five. Stormtrooper poetry. <laughs> that is greatness. Very nice, Brian. Very nice. Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> so, Iktoch. Iktoch, man. Never been. Neither have I. No, me neither. Although, apparently, I'm going to be. So. <laughs> oh, is, uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah apparently, you're going to be too. So. <laughs> it's really weird. But, hey, what are you going to do? So. Eh? Questions, questions, we have questions, we have answers. Questions, questions, and answers. D20 docking bay, hosers. When it don't be making sense, we be making sense of it. Indeed. Word. This D20 docking bay is brought to you by 
Chris, Thorn, Darth, Shadow Warrior, Strider. <laughs> Lots of people. So let us get started with D20 Docking Bay, where we read your questions that have been submitted either over the air or by various other means, such as email, carrier pigeon, or the forums. And yes, I did receive one by carrier pigeon. <laughs> the poor pigeon got here and he had a CD just like right around his beak. Oh. The poor thing hadn't eaten in a week, flying oh. all the way from Chicago. I'll let you listen to it in a little bit. Poor guy. Anyway, Chris Allen sounds deceptively yes. like a real name. It might be fake, however. We shall see. It says, on page 147 of the core rule book, in the last paragraph, it says, talks about getting a persistent condition if you fail your con check. Do they mean after the one minute or the one hour check? Question mark. Hmm. Well, Chris, that's a good question. Um, for those unaware, page 147 of the core rule book specifies that after a character goes unconscious, they make a con check one minute later to awaken. If they fail, another check is attempted an hour later with another more difficult check each subsequent hour until you succeed. But if you fail the check by five or more, or you roll a natural one, you gain a persistent condition, meaning you can't use the recover action to move up the condition track without surgery or eight hours of rest. But which con check does this occur with? Well, the wording is very clear that it applies to your constitution check. In other words, any of them. <laughs> So uh, whether it's one minute, one hour, or eight hours later, if you're that hardy and still haven't managed to succeed, any of those con checks made while you're unconscious or regain consciousness that you fail by five or more or roll a natural one give you a persistent condition. I hope that answers that question. So there. Okay. So there. So Thorn number nine. Welcome to the Gamer Nation, by the way, Thorn. Posted a couple of questions for us. So he says he's running the DOD campaign, and that's Dawn of Defiance, Dawn. Defiance for those yes, of you yes, yes. younglings. I have a couple of questions. One, these may be spoilers, so turn down your podcast now. <laughs> I ran across the charging fire feat in a stat block. Looking it up, it seems completely useless. You get the negatives of a charge, but not the bonus. Why not just move, then shoot, or shoot, then move? Is there a point that I'm missing to this feat? Okay, Thorne. Um, well, first of all, the, the point is movement. Uh, you can't move, shoot, then move um, in a single round, not without running attack. And even then, you're still limited to your base movement, no matter what. And charging is uh, a melee thing. Um, you have to have a feat to use it with range. The thing is, I mean, you, you still only get one standard and one move action per round. Charging is a standard action, though. And that standard action allows you to move your base speed and attack as that single standard action. This means that a charger can use his move action to move his base speed. Then his standard action to charge, moving his base speed again, and then attacking. And again, since charge is a melee, this normally can't be done with, done with a ranged weapon. But with charging fire, it can. And that is the real benefit of the feat. The ability for your average character to move 12 squares in a round and still get a shot off. And that's uh, the answer to that. That's all I got to say about that. That's all I got to say about that. Okay. Question number two. Okay. Also, while running the campaign, I am seeing my players using Force Slam. I quite imagine. Of course. I have been ruling the slam damage applies. Slam damage applies to all gear and weapons on the victim as well. Ooh. Hmm. 
This has, however, made it difficult for the players to recover data pads and the like with pertinent information. I can always get them info another way. I'm just wondering if I'm the only one that does this. Is everything in the cone take damage? Floors, walls, lights, gear, etc. Is this right? The answer is no. Go ahead. The answer is no. <laughs> um, alas, sir, it is not. The devs have clarified that area damage does not apply to attended objects. And this is clarified in the FAQ officially maintained by a raving dork on the Watsi Gleemax forums. Does it make sense? Eh, is it good for the game? Oh yes. Oh yes, oh yes, oh yes, oh yes, yes. So hope that clarifies that for you. Stop stop penalizing your players in that way. If they want to use force slam to burst down a door, that's reasonable. But uh, if somebody's holding the door, it would only apply to the person holding it. <laughs> that's right. So there you go. All right, moving on to Darth Korahuchi. Oh, Darth Korahor. I love it. Our, our <laughs> Darth, <laughs> At least I think that's how you pronounce it. The, Darth, one, of the, one of the more unpronounceable names on the forums. Darth Korah Slut, Darth Korahor. Whatever. <laughs> Has some Wookiee love, so I shouldn't make fun of his name. No. Look, he, he, sh- he shares your passion for Wookiee love. Yeah, exactly. So, anyway, he has a very sharp inquiry. He mailed us this. Hey, guys. That's us. I have a question. In a play-by-post game, I'm playing a Wookiee soldier. It wasn't intended to copy anybody. It just looks that way. <laughs> uh, imitation the sincerest, in- sincerest form of flattery, my friend. Who wields a single vibro axe? Wow, that's even better. He has a strength of 19. Wow, that's amazing. Giving him a bonus of plus four. My yeah. question is, since a Vibrax is a large weapon, that makes it a two-handed weapon for a medium character like a Wookiee. So my question is, does a Wookiee gain double his strength bonus as a damage bonus on melee attacks, thus, thus making it 2d10 plus eight? Or with the axe normally being a two-handed weapon, does my Wookiee only gain his normal strength bonus? Help, you're my only hope, and I've got good news because I love my double strength bonus. I am doing like 3d10 plus 14 now. <laughs> Yes, power attack and and uh, double strength is your friend. Yes, sir. Um, it, double strength bonus applies for a two-handed weapon, whether it's normally a two-handed weapon or not. So, um, to to give you a more more exact clarification, uh, a melee attack with a non-light weapon that you wield two-handed does add double your strength bonus to damage. Uh, your Wookiee in question would get his 2 day 10 plus 8 for damage, plus half his character level, of course. Uh, this is clarified on page 145 of the core rulebook in the very last paragraph of the damage section, where it reads, when you hit with a melee weapon that you are wielding two-handed, you add double your strength bonus, if any, to the damage. Thus, higher strength modifier does not apply to two-handed melee attacks with light weapons. It doesn't specify whether it's normally a two-handed weapon or not, because frankly, it may not be normally a two-handed weapon, depending on if you're playing a large creature or not. So it's just two-handed. As long as it's not light, a light weapon, you're green. And this, sir, is why Wookiees with 18 strengths, vibro-axes, and rapid strike relish their 3-die-10 plus 8 at first level. 23 points of average damage, max of 38. It's just um, silly, really. Um, it'll mo- it'll one-shot most any equivalent level threat you face at low levels. So uh, go Wookiees. Go. Seriously, go, go Wookiees, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Hillshire Farm. Go Wookiees. <laughs> Shadow Warrior is up next with a good question regarding Star Wars lore and some in-game dynamics. Okay. Something just came up in my play-by-post. Wow, another one. Game okay. that has got me a bit puzzled. Is it possible to intimidate a stormtrooper into surrendering? Not demand surrender, just a plain intimidate check. 
Raw on page 278 states that they're immune to bribery, blackmail, seduction, blah, blah, blah. But no mention is made of fear. Are there any canon example of stormtroopers surrendering? Yes. Return of the Jedi shows Imperial Army troops surrendering, but I don't recall seeing any white hats doing show. This is a good question. It is a good question. And you, I, you, of course, hinted to the other example in the films where you do see stormtroopers not surrendering, but certainly succumbing to fear. Run away! Run away! Which is, of course, in uh, episode four, where Han Solo does that ridiculous thing where he's running down the corridor after them going, Aah! and they're all running away from him. That's right. Uh, until they get bolstered by their fellow allies in the giant cargo bay. Um. <laughs> <laughs> One of the most absolutely hideous uh, edits they made from the originals. Oh, God. Yeah, well, you know, I, yeah, either way, I, I think this is a really good question, Shadow. Um, and those of us steeped in Star Wars lore and, and prior incarnations of Star Wars RPGs are well aware of the intense mental conditioning normally associated with the Stormtrooper. Slavishly loyal to the Empire, they can't be bribed, seduced, or blackmailed. They fight without fear of death, and they never question the validity of their actions, and they are loyal to the Emperor to death. Uh, this is canon. Now, having said that, Stormtroopers aren't morons, Dave. Uh, <laughs> and um, neither are the game developers. Uh, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. The Stormtrooper is all that in a bucket of blue milk, sure. But every Stormtrooper still has a brain and isn't going to walk foolishly into death if they can help it. Um, plus, simple conditioning, which is what a Stormtrooper has, does not give them the effects of a high-level prestige class, such as oh, being immune to a mind-affecting effect, which is basically what being immune to intimidation or fear would be. Yeah, Stormtroopers are badass, but they're still the quintessential low-level threat. And taking away one of the most effective means of neutralizing low-level threats, intimidation, is simply bad game design. So the raw, the rules is written, yeah, it is what it is. But intimidation? You know, it's not there. So sure, use away. What do you think, man? Do you think you should be able to intimidate stormtroopers? Yeah, I don't have a problem with that. Eh. Not at all. I would use it sparingly, but, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but it's one of those things. I would, I, I don't know. If, if, a, if I was a GM running this, and there was a stormtrooper with, like, a commander nearby, intimidating a stormtrooper wouldn't work. You'd have to intimidate the commander. They would follow back on their orders first, considering all the mental conditioning they've gone through. And I think that's a reasonable solution to take. Right. So, you know, if, if you have that conundrum. Yeah, and you rarely find stormtroopers that are not in groups, so it's going to be hard. Very true, very true. And also keep in mind, intimidation only works against, a standard intimidation only works against one, one individual at a time. Um, therefore, you know, if you've got a squad of stormtroopers, um, you know, you're really only going to be able to make one run away if, if you succeed. So, right, exactly. Yeah. Okay, and finally... Strider emails us with a question that could probably go for an entire podcast all in we its could, own. We could make a podcast out of this question, yes. But yep. it'll, it'll maybe be a future podcast for another time. Maybe so. So, all right. So, here he is. Interesting question about a problem in-game that, sadly, many of us may have experienced in the past. He writes, So, in my group, we have a young married couple. They're married in real life. We'll call the girl X and the guy Y. Funny how that works. <laughs> I get it. <laughs> In-game, the girl's character is obviously falling for another male PC. We will call him A for asshole. Played by a man who is not her husband. Ooh. So the role-playing is very odd for A and X because Y can get jealous. Now, he doesn't say if Y does get jealous. Oh, never mind. I'm well, maybe, my... maybe he means like y, y can get jealous, like he's a jealous type. 
Right, and I, I don't know. Anyway, commentary in the middle of that. Let's 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 move on. What do you suggest? As far as the story goes, the two characters, X and A, started off hating each other, then ended up together like a movie with a guy and girl want to kill each other and then end up falling in love. The pair role-play in game, embracing and kissing. Nothing beyond that. That has been played out anyway, thank God. But the characters share a bunk, so you can infer quite a bit. When good games... Go bad. You've got a recipe for a disaster, sir. Yeah. Um, all right. I know we both have a lot to say about this. Um, okay. Wow. Um, Let me start by saying one thing. Yeah. Jeff Foxworthy has a term for this, and son, that woman has found a new horse, and if she ain't riding him yet, son, he is out of the barn and has been saddled up. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, you know what I find interesting is uh, he he thinks the role-playing is odd because the real-life husband is getting jealous. Um, I think that's the least odd thing about this whole debacle. Okay, but let's, I mean, let's, let's okay, let's let's back up a bit. Um, okay, anyone who's role-played for a time, especially if they've done so in, like, high school, middle school days, has encountered what I like to call the amorous role-player. And Dave, you remember a guy we used to play with whose first initial was C and his last initial was H, um, <laughs> who, was one of, who was one of these. Um, this is usually the player who wants to get freaky with any NPC they come across. Right. I mean, the more like gag me, like bleh, version is the couple who games together and their characters become deeply in love. Just barf, okay? Yeah. Um, another common thing is the couple who games together and one of them, again, this was common with our friend, uh, becomes the amorous role player trying to get with any NPC they can, which usually does cause mild real life jealousy strange though that may be, from their significant other at the table with them. Ride him, cowboy. But this situation is different, and um, it's a little worrisome to me, Strider. Just a tad. Our, our amorous role player isn't having fun with an NPC, some non-existent person, but an actual PC's character. A PC that isn't her SO. Now, maybe it's my psychology degree talking, but I'm going to spend just a moment to mention that this reeks of potential problems within their marriage, and it is safe to assume that an actual attraction might exist between X and A in real life that they are acting out in-game. And that's that's kind of creepy. And I hope they're listening to this. I, I hope they are, too. And and if, if, if you guys want to seriously call in or email us, get some more out of this, I would really like to make a show out of this. Um... I don't think it's any wonder that Y is getting jealous. I mean, hey, maybe maybe this is all in fun, okay? No harm, no foul. There's no intent, subconscious or otherwise. But I'm damn sure that Y knows his wife pretty well, and his jealousy is probably coming from somewhere. I mean, heck, I wouldn't put it past this girl to be doing this intentionally to make her husband jealous in real life, huh? I mean, because I don't know any women like that that are, you know, yeah, eh. would do that. Um, I've never known any women like that in my whole life. No, no. Never. I mean... Dude, to be frank, Dave, I mean, and you know me, man, th this kind of role-playing isn't really my style. Um, I believe in role-playing well, and, and, and look, relationships, romances, I mean, they are an epic and fun part of the Star Wars story, and, and the characters in, the, in Star Wars, but this is just a game. Don't withdraw from reality so completely that you piss off your spouse, okay, bottom line. Um, Strider, my advice as to what you should do about it, damn. I would put the dice down, and I would back up very, very slowly on my tippy toes. 
Um, this has bad scene written all over it, man. And you don't want to be the GM whose game split up a couple. <laughs> uh, I, I think this is a deeper problem between X and Y. And I don't think it's your job to solve that or even mention it. Okay, your job is to run a game. Now, you can't stop Y's emotions. All right, you can't stop his jealousy. But X and A's behaviors in game are controllable. Frankly, I would have nipped such a thing in the bud before it started in future games. But if you want to talk about it to them, I mean, talk to A only, alone, in private. Let him know what's weird. Let him know why and ask him to end it in game. That's my suggestion. All right, I said my piece. Dave, what, what do you think? Man? Where do I start here? I, I really thought that you and I were going to be on opposite sides of the spectrum. I thought you were going to be, oh, it's okay, it's all role-playing, blah, blah, blah. Well, I was surprised. Oh. I really was surprised because I don't, I don't like it. Not just being a guy who would be you know, um, somewhat questioned. I guess I, I would react somewhat questionably if my wife played role-playing games for one and two started role-playing with somebody else. But, you know, the one thing I do have to take a step back and, and, and realize is that we don't know a lot about the situation. If X, Y, and A are, they know it's coming, they've cooked it up beforehand, I don't have that much of a problem with it. But, you know, the whole thing about them sharing a bunk, where the hell did that detail, and why was it even relevant to the role-playing game? What, what, you know, what, what's that about? So it seems like either one, one, or one of two things is happening. Either they're trying to be so obvious about it that it's just stupid and not believable, or two, they're trying to be so obvious about it that they're trying to make the husband jealous or whatever. So yeah. why? I think either way, buddy, you've got a problem unless you were in on it from the start. And, uh, and you, as the uh, GM of said adventure, Strider, Need to get rid of that out of your game, I, I would say, unless it has, uh, like I said, unless it has been addressed previously and it's part of the story or whatever. But I just don't see how it needs to be part of the story. It's just uh, there's just too many things that 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 are that are probable here. And if it's one of those deals where you're acting it out in in a fantasy, uh, <clears throat> let me repeat, fantasy. There's a reason that they're called fantasies. The plane. Oh, moment of silence for Ricardo. Okay. <laughs> I, you know, I, I'm just, I'm just telling you, he may not, he may, he may be out of the barn and saddled up, but uh, I guarantee you, the riding's coming if it hadn't already. If this is a true story. Yeah. So, eh, I mean, yeah, I think it pretty much says it. So, that's our advice, Strider. Take it in stride, Strider. Strider. That's right. All right, I have one more question that came in uh, via the uh, intertubes that I forgot to play for you. So, um, oh. sorry, this might caught, catch you uh, off guard. Hit me. Hi, this is Old School from the Small But Vicious podcast, and I never listen to the Order 66 podcast. Also, guys, I've got a question for you. According to Star Wars Saga Edition rules as written, can a Jedi use mind trick on himself? Hmm. That's a really good question. And I mind tricked myself. Right. What? No, I didn't. I, I did. You, d you did? No. <laughs> Are you sure? How would you know if you did? I, I'm not entirely sure. I mean, you know, I'm kidding, but I'm really not, and I am. So let's go ahead. All right. All right. I'm going to say no based on this principle right here. I'm reading mind trick right now. Target, 
one intelligence three or higher creature in line of sight and within 12 squares of you. Um, that would seem to imply that it's not you. So uh, that would be kind of the, the thing right there. Um, now, having said that, um, there's a new talent um, in one of the new books for the life of me. I can't remember what it was, but it allows you to make a use the force check to have somebody forget that an interaction occurred. Okay, so th there is kind of some precedence for this. Now, it depends really, I would say, on why the Jedi is wanting to do it. Raw rules is written, no, clearly he can't use mind trick for that purpose. But if, if he wanted to try and use the force to enter a meditative trance and maybe, maybe forget that something happened, if it's good for the story, I don't see a problem bending the rules for that. Uh, that sounds like it could be rather intriguing. Um, but I, I don't know. I mean, can you see some, see some cool uses for that, dude? I'd have to stretch. I don't know. Really? Yeah. Mm. I don't know. But. Yeah. So, so, so there you go. Um, so, yeah, there you go. All right. But that's the answer to that. All right. We will take about a five-minute break here to uh, have the Alex and Trevor show, and then we'll be back with you guys on the other side in a moment. <laughs> Dark thoughts with Twi'lek goodness. If the Force is in all of us, like the Jedi claim, then I hope it likes a glass of Corellian ale, because that's what it's getting. Mmm, Corellian ale. It's so good. Take that, Force. This has been Dark Thoughts with Twi'lek goodness. Welcome, Jedi Masters, to Fragments from the Rim. How may we be of service to you today? Hi, this is Alex. And Trevor. This is segment six of Fragments from the Rim. For this segment, I've chosen to talk about multiple attacks. When Saga first came out, dual weapon wielding and double attack were much weaker than what we were used to in back in D&D 3.5, specifically because of the way the withdraw feature had been created, where you could withdraw from just about any situation and avoid the multiple attacks. And it was very difficult to get your multiple attacks off. That's begun to change recently. In particular, there's a number of interesting options related to this in the KOTOR campaign guide. I'm going to start on page 39, and I'm going to look at mobile attack pistols and mobile attack lightsabers. They're both very similar. Immediately after making a full attack, where you attack with two pistols or two lightsabers, you may move up to your speed as a free action, which is creating more of that possibility of getting off your multiple attacks. Now, it does mean you move after getting off your two attacks. That's one place where more possibility for getting your multiple attacks is beginning to appear. Another major place is in the Melee Duelist Prestige class, which is on page 47. There's a number of different options there. You've got the Dual Weapon Flourish 1 and 2, and Single Weapon Flourish 1 and 2, both of which you're going to want to read very closely as they have some interesting differences. In each case, they're giving you the ability to make multiple attacks and do movement in one form or another. Do be aware that there has been some recent errata that just came out that makes uh, some minor changes to particularly dual weapon flourish 2 and single weapon flourish 2 uh, in order to prevent some abuses. So these multiple attacks are beginning to become useful again. In fact, some of the errata of the core rulebook has even introduced a feat that allows some of that. But what I really like is that they are not 
totally overwhelming in terms of power. I remember in D&D 3.5, we'd march a, a character right up to a monster or a creature, and the two of you would stand still and just beat on each other. So one of the things I really like that they've done in Saga is the amount of effort put into making movement part of combat. And while it's possible to get off these multiple attacks now or make them more useful, they're not totally overwhelming because you're going to have to invest some serious talents and feats in order to make sure that it's viable and possible. It puts it on the same level as some of the other interesting options out there. Over to you, Trevor. All right, keeping in mind with the idea of movement in combat, I'm going to talk about two of the feats that you can find on page 35 of the KOTOR Handbook. One of the biggest beefs I had with 3.x D&D was the fact that any character who had the feet tumble could get anywhere onto a battle with little or no penalties. They could roll through people, around people, over people, and it was the DCs for them to do those things was incredibly small. They also had the fact that if they took a minus 10, and if you're a high enough level, that's a moot point, or if you have appropriate items, it's a moot point, you could take full movement. So you could have somebody who's on one end of the battlefield and in two moves could be up beside the big bad guy and nobody's had a chance to touch in between. What Saga Edition has done that is a nice change to that is, first of all, if you do tumble, you can only move half your move, which is nice because that at least restricts how far you can move with that kind of mobility. However, the feet tumble defense is a really nice option to give your grunts, who basically are the big melee guys, because up until now, if I'm fighting a melee monster, I withdraw and then I shoot and then he steps up to me, which means he only gets one attack because he's used part of his, he's used his move, then we just repeat that dance and all of the benefits he has of any sort of multiple attacks are lost. With Tumble Defense, if I'm tumbling around someone, the base attack bonus of the guy who has Tumble Defense is added to the DC of my tumble. And if I fail, he gets to then use an attack of opportunity. That changes the mobility of the field. And you couple that with someone who has Withdrawal Strike, which basically means that people can't withdraw, they can only tumble away, then you're almost trebling the chances of you always having an attack of opportunity against anybody who in any way, shape, or form is trying to mobilize themselves through, around, or away from you. So the stuff that Alex talked about, that Saga Edition is really nice in creating a very dynamic combat in the fact that people move around a lot. These two feats in conjunction or individually sort of make it so that it's balanced on both sides. The movement or lack of movement is equal and everybody's happy. So, that in mind, if you have any questions or comments for either Alex or I, feel free to send us an email at order66 underscore fragments at rogers.com. And until next time, have fun gaming. Hey, welcome to Wattles. This is Watto for Watto's Bargain Basement. And I want you to come on down to Tatooine this week for our big special sale. Tell them Java sent you and you get a free chance cube. We got the deals for you. Come on down to Watto's Bargain Basement. What do you know? Well... So I'm assuming in the three weeks I was gone, you had a chance to go to Tatooine? Yes, I did. Actually, I did. And uh, what I came back with was something that would make you and the Master Chief proud. Really? The Halo Lamp. Oh, oh, well, I don't think it's that kind of Halo. But still, it's Halo. (laughs) I am a Halo fanatic, so I'm very happy about that. Awesome. (laughs) Hee hee!
<laughs> okay, so page 66 of the Clone Wars campaign guides are what you require, younglings. Yeah. And so lighting is usually a pretty big factor when you're playing in a good encounter, right? Usually. If you, if you listen to the list, then you would know lighting is often, you know, co- concealment due to darkness is often a very big factor. The list. I hope that's one of the episodes we can, can, we can put in for an Annie. I hope so, too. But glow rods and other illumination devices sometimes are cumbersome and uh, require a free hand to hold them. So the glow lamp, uh, the halo lamp, the glow lamp, what am I talking about? <laughs> oh, the halo lamp is a pocket-sized little disc that fits in your palm and glows with no heat to illuminate everything in a three-square radius around you. That would be a six-square diameter for those of you mathematically challenged. That's awesome. Weighs one kilogram, costs only 30 credits, boys and girls. That's a cheapie. It is. And I got to disagree with you. That's seven square radius because it's three squares on either side of you and then your square. Oh, okay. Oh. Sure. Oh. Okay, sure. <laughs> sure. If you, consider, quake, if you consider it like epicenter of the earthquake and go out three on either side, sure. Why not? Why not? That's fine. Anyway, and a kilogram and only three credits. Wait, it weighs only it weighs one kilo. That's it. One kilo. That's it. Thirty credits, and you can actually attach it to any weapon as an accessory. So that makes it hands-free. How about that? That's that's awesome. Um, that's actually really cool. Yeah, it's uh, not I bad. mean, I don't know. Th- three squares isn't a lot, I, but I can see. I think range fighters will get you less use out of it than melee fighters. But I mean, you could like stick the thing on your uh, on your vibro axe and go to town. Indeed. Uh, Indeed. And I don't know, man. I mean, I've played with some some GMs that were very kind of that old school of thought, you know, where it's very very stickler about how you know it's like you know what? How can you hold that rifle? You have your glow rod out. Well, it's you know, yo, it requires a hand to hold it. You need two hands to hold your rifle. Uh, you must throw it to the ground. And it, well, yeah, I'm like, oh crap, dude. Whatever. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. No, that's pretty cool. I think that's been needed for a while. So, I'm trying to envision what it would look like. Like a little, it's a little, like, disc, and you just stick it on your weapon. I like it. I like it a lot, Jenny. I also like Fragments from the Rim. Thank you, uh, Alex and Trev, for uh, giving that to us. I, I love you. I love, I love your crunchy butts. They're, um, they're, they're fantastic. <laughs> I love your crunchy butts. Huh. We'll let that one. Meaning that they they are rather crunchy in their discussion, which is enjoyable to people like myself. I just said bit, but that's okay. (laughs) So let me fire this off and we'll get started with the meat of the show. Such a man. I'd follow him to hell and back, I would. There you go. (laughs) Okay. Um. For those of you who have heard of that and may be inferring what we're talking about, I, I hate getting out of order. I mean, we were chugling along really well with our return to prestige classes. But then what does, Dave, what, what does Watsy do? They, yeah, they, bake. they bake us an awesome sauce pie. Oh, yes. And they cut us a big slice. Yep. Ah. Delivered. Since the release of the Clone Wars campaign guide, and big shout out to Jedi Master Rodney Thompson for coming on to episode 52 and talking to us about it, by the way, uh, we have received a great amount of pleading to talk about the new followers mechanic as soon as humanly possible. Uh, to date, we have received what? Um, God, eight. like a combined total of... Because I know you got a couple eight. and I got some. We both got some. Like eight, pe- eight emails at least that I'm aware of. And 
And I personally got 13 personal messages from different people specifically to ask for this. Right. Uh, So, okay. And this is your podcast, Gamer Nation. And we've said it since day one. We'll talk about what you want to talk about. So we're stepping out of the prestige class discussion. We're going to table um, our, our, our melee duelist for a little while. Uh, for an episode at least, and devote some time to followers. A new and exciting mechanic that lets your character affect the game and the encounter in a whole new way. But there's a few things you need to know, uh, things you need to be wary of, and things you need to drool over. So, uh, let's talk about it. You want to talk about it? Sure. Okay, let's talk about it. Turn your Clone Wars campaign guides to page 32, younglings. 32. Where we will begin to look at followers. Uh, The basics. Now, follower things we're going to talk about are in various places in the book so let's start on page 32 and we'll move on from there um the basics of followers first and foremost what is a follower well a follower is an npc or a non-player character uh the best way to think of them i love how they use the analogy in the book of of the supporting cast of the star wars stories they're not quite heroes but they're still along for the ride Followers are not as powerful, though, as normal NPCs, usually. Um, and they're not as powerful as prestige class-based NPC companions, like the Crime Lord's minion. Uh, but unlike those things, a follower is an extension of you. They advance as you do. And more importantly, they don't leech XP from the party, either. Which is very nice. Me said don't? You said don't. <laughs> Excellent example of a follower. I don't know. Jar Jar might be in the NPC category full on, mostly because he did something really like game changing, sort of. Yeah. I don't know. I think like Captain Panaka is a great example of a follower. Um, or uh, shoot me for my lack of EU knowledge. Wh- whoever Panaka's like nephew was, who was the Padme's guardian in Episode Two, um, the guy with the eye patch. Oh so. yeah, Barada. Yeah, it's something like that. Yes. Um, okay, well, first of all, let's talk about followers' actions, how they work. Because there's no action like your action. First of all, followers, unlike normal NPCs, they don't actually act on their own um, in most circumstances, at least not in combat. Uh, this, this is the, the biggest hindrance to you and your followers. With a few exceptions, you must spend your own actions during a round to get your follower to do something. Followers don't make initiative checks. They act on your turn, and they use your actions. Everything a follower can do is noted starting on page 35 of the Clone Wars campaign guide. For the most part, I mean, they can do anything you can do for the same action cost. So you can spend your standard action, Dave, to uh, let your follower make an attack, for example. Okay? Make sense? The... The only glaring exception to this is movement. Although you can spend your move action to direct your follower to move when you don't, your followers move with you unless otherwise directed. They remain adjacent to you. They stand when you stand. They withdraw when you withdraw, etc., etc. They're always right there. So, okay. I was thinking about this, and I was reading and kind of writing this up and trying to coalesce my thoughts on followers. And it occurs to me that I don't really consider them NPCs. I consider them NCs, or non-characters, because they don't even gain the benefits of the non-heroic class, which most NPCs do. Um, so I think it's more accurate to call them non-characters, NCs. Their, their level is equal to yours, but they gain no benefits associated with a level. They have zero class levels. They have no destiny points, no force points, although they do accrue dark side points accordingly. Um, their defenses are very similar to yours. They're, each of their defenses is equal, is equal to 10, 
plus their relevant ability modifier, plus your heroic level. And then certain talents and effects, as well as follower templates, which we're, 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 we're coming to, uh, modify these even further. Interestingly, a follower wearing armor takes the higher of the armor bonus or your heroic level, unlike you, who are stuck with the armor bonus, unless you have a talent, which is uh, very interesting. Hit points. Uh, followers have hit points equal to 10 plus your heroic level. Khan doesn't even factor in for them. Their base attack bonus is determined by a follower's template. And again, we're, we're getting there. Ability scores. They're very average creatures. A follower's ability scores are all equal to 10, except certain templates may adjust them as well as species bonuses or, or penalties, of course. Talents and feats. A follower never gains talents or feats, ever, unless specified by their template or other special talents that you, the hero, take. This means that even bonus feats for species don't apply to followers. They don't get them. Okay? The only exception to that is simple weapon proficiency, which all followers get for free. Okay. Skills, to, to round up their, their general features, followers do not get trained skills, nor do they get any bonus skills for a high intelligence. However, they do, of course, add the relevant ability score modifier plus half their level um, to all skill checks as normal, which is half your level, basically. Um, and then again, certain templates and talents taken by you, the hero, may allow your follower to train in specific skills, but we are going to come to that. So, Okay, Dave. I, I kind of wanted to call this talk not, not just a follower by any other name. So we, we keep referring back to these, these templates. Um, and let's, let's talk about those. When, when you gain a follower, you have to assign it a template, and this template cannot change. There are three templates, and each centers around a function for your follower, and they adjust the follower in certain aspects, okay? Indeed. So the first template, of course, sir, would be... The aggressive follower. Oh, the aggressive follower. Oh, yeah. Uh, the aggressive follower is just that. Someone to fight for you. Bottom line. Um, aggressive followers become trained in endurance... Uh, they gain weapon proficiency pistols and a plus two to their fortitude defense just for being an aggressive follower. In addition, aggressive followers get either a plus two to strength or con, your choice, and they are the only follower with a full base attack bonus. Uh, the skinny on the aggressive followers, look, I mean, the uses for an aggressive follower are pretty simple. It, it, it's another gun when you need it. Okay, bottom line. It's, you know, somebody who maybe can even attack a little bit better than you if you're perhaps a noble and you want uh, a good gunman by your side. They have a full base attack bonus. You don't. So there you go. Although, considering abilities, their dex is probably crap compared to yours. Well, maybe not, you know, if you don't have a very good dex. But uh, nonetheless, an aggressive follower for a certain PC might be a much better combatant. Unfortunately, they can never gain the effects of certain feats that help them out, which is a, a problem. Right. Well, the next template, if we have the aggressive follower, would, of course, be... Hmm. The defensive follower. The defensive follower, of course. Uh, can serve a couple roles, but they're best at protecting themselves and keeping safe. Defensive followers become trained in endurance as well. They gain light armor proficiency and a plus two to their reflex defense. Um, in addition, a defensive follower gains either a plus two in dexterity or wisdom, your choice, um, and they have a poor base attack bonus. Here's the skinny on defensive followers. Aside from protecting themselves well, the defensive follower is made to 
tailor-made to to hold down a defensive position or provide suppressive fire or fire support. It's not easy to hit them compared to the other followers. So they, they serve those roles really well. Um, and of course, the last template of the three that you can apply, if we have aggressive and defensive... Would be the utility follower. Of course, the skill monkey. Well, not really, but more skilled than the other two. Yeah. Um, a very skilled individual, uh, shall we say. Uh, utility followers can train in any one skill of your choosing at creation, except for use the force. Um, they gain either pistol proficiencies or light armor proficiency, you choose, at creation, and a plus two to their will defense. In addition, a utility follower gains a plus two bonus to intelligence or charisma, your choice, and they have a poor base attack bonus. And, I mean, bottom line, utility followers are skill monkeys. I mean, most usefully, hopefully, if you're designing well for the trained skill that you don't have. <laughs> uh, the pilot, okay, the scout, the mechanic, the slicer, the medic that your party needs but doesn't have. Bam, one talent, and you have a utility follower who's perhaps trained in that skill. There so you there go. you go. That's pretty good, man. It's not bad. It's not bad. So let's talk about let's talk about gaining followers. And again, I love that you know such a man. I'd follow him to hell and back. I would. Such a uh, man. I'd follow him to hell and back. I would. That one. Thank you, Zoidberg. Um, so g- gaining a follower is pretty easy. It simply costs you a talent. Now the the noble, the scout, and the soldier are the three classes. They each have talent trees devoted to gaining and improving followers. And each one of those trees has a foundation talent, for lack of a better term, that gives you a single follower, um, adding things to the follower that the other class talents don't. So ultimately, when you're building a follower, aside from all the base stuff we covered, they're going to get bonuses to abilities and train skills and such based on the template you give them and based on the foundation talent you use to create them. Um, So... And once again, though, each talent that adds followers can be taken multiple times, each time garnering you a new follower to a max of three. So, okay, let's look at the basic differences between the three foundation talents and what they do for your followers, okay? The first is for the noble, and that talent tree is called, Dave? The Loyal Protector. Thank you. The Loyal Protector. Um, Inspire Loyalty is the noble follower's foundation talent in the Loyal Protector talent tree. And followers gained with it are generated normally, except they also become trained in perception. And they gain an armor proficiency feat of your choice that they qualify for. Um, so, of course, the, the if you really want them to get beefed up on armor and wear medium armor, if you get like a defensive follower who already gets light armor proficiency to begin with, well, now you can give them medium with this nice little, you know, uh, uh, talents you're choosing them from. So, very cool. Yeah. Um, additional talents also exist in, the, exist in the Loyal Protector tree to beef up your followers in the roles of bodyguards and other protectors. Um, these talents do things like give the toughness feed to all your followers or, or give them special actions and abilities that center around punishing people that harm you or diverting and taking attacks that are directed at you. Okay. The skinny, the bottom line, the loyal protector is perfect for a follower who acts as a bodyguard, okay? With the potential to soak hits and damage, the defensive template is the clear choice, okay? It boosts the reflex defense, and as I said, gives them light armor proficiency, allowing you to give them medium armor proficiency. Uh, This is the the follower that takes a licking and keeps on speaking bocce. So, (laughs) there you go. That's pretty good. Now, the scout, of course, the next class that has, uh, that has this, ha- of course, its talent tree for followers is called? 
Um, uh, let me look real quick. Reconnaissance. Ah, that reconnaissance talent tree. Someone has their book open. Oh, from yeah. the scoot. The scoot. Uh, the scoot. The reconnaissance talent tree. All right, uh, hold on. Yo, Donovan four twenty one is about to get his ass booted. Talking about Whitney Houston, Kevin Costner, and one of the worst movies ever made. The Bodyguard. Oh, it's not that bad. But Dave, you got to understand something. I will always love you. Oh, hell. Here we go again. <laughs> Next thing you know, we're going to have Celine Dion singing the, the Titanic song. I'll never let go, Dave. I'll never let go. Oh, oh boy. So the reconnaissance team leader is like the scout's follower and the foundation talent. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's basically, yeah. Reconnaissance team leader. It's the scout's, fo- it's the scout's uh, foundation talent for followers. Um Followers gained with it again are generated normally, except they also become trained in both perception and stealth. And, oh yeah, when you, as a scout, move and you make a stealth check, so can they, which other followers can't do. Um, The additional talents in the reconnaissance tree allow you to control your followers' movements extremely well, as well as make your followers better at scouting, bottom line. Um, Using scouting info to assist other allies, beefing up their short-range attacks, and their stealth abilities. That's what this talent tree is all about. The bottom skinny, the bottom line, the recon team member is a perfect follower to be part of a stealth recon team. They become another pair of eyes and ears, and they broaden the scope of reconnaissance. They're not too terribly good as frontline fighters, um, so the defensive or utility templates are best here. Uh, Defensive if you expect to see action and you need your team to see you out alive, um, but utility really fits the mold of the skillful character, which as a scout, you probably are. Um, So it makes sense that your follower should follow suit. Uh, Their trained skill can shore up any deficiency that you lack, easily creating a silent, perceptive squad that lacks for nothing. The Robins to your Batman. I am the knight. I'm Batman. I'm Batman. I'm Batman. So, have you seen the uh, the newest trailer for what for the uh, for the Watchmen? Somebody asked me, my daughter actually, why why is Batman in the movie? Oh boy. Ooh, that's 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 really really interesting. Now, I'm noticing right here. Uh, Brev, GM Brev, has a question in the chat rooms. He wants to know, can, uh, can followers use the officer's, the officer's share talent uh, feature, which is very interesting. I do want to take a brief moment to cover this because this is an excellent question. And quite frankly, if you'll agree with me, Dave, one of the reasons we have uh, our live chat while we're doing the podcast. Yes, no? Indeed. Let's diverge. <laughs> Let's let's diverge very briefly. Um, Well, the officer, uh, Prestige Class, ladies and gentlemen, is, of course, located in the uh, core rule book on page 220. And, um, excuse me, little little, little bug in my throat. At second level, they gain the share talent ability. All right. Um, So they choose a talent they already possess. All right. uh, From certain talent trees. And then once a day is a standard action, they can impart the benefits of the chosen talent to one or more allies effectively granting them the talent. Uh, the book, uh, Clone Wars Campaign Guide, is very clear. They actually state verbatim that followers are considered allies to you and all the members in your team, other allies as well. Uh, so sounds yes, like a yes. According to Raw, they certainly could be affected. So, wow, that creates a load of awesomeness right there, doesn't it? That is awesome. Yes, it, it certainly does. Good so, job. There you go. 
And that might come in handy if you're going to be an officer, especially if uh, you had soldier leading up to it. Because soldiers, of course, have an officer talent, uh, excuse me, have a follower talent tree, ah, which is yes. called the, squ- the, uh, the squad leader. Squad leader talent tree. Yep. Um, commanding officer is the soldier's follower foundation talent. And followers gained with it are, of course, generated normally, except they also gain uh, weapon proficiency rifles and an armor proficiency of your choice that they, of course, qualify for. Um, the other talents in the squad leader tree are focused on giving your followers better ways to shoot things nice. <laughs> and to help you shoot things uh, by giving them such feats as coordinating attack. Um, a commanding officer leads a squad of soldiers, a squad that can be built to attack well together. The bottom line here, a squad member is a perfect follower to be part of an attack unit. The aggressive template is the clear choice here, with weapon proficiency pistols, meaning they can pick up most any gun about and fire it with reckless abandon. The full base attack bonus helping out quite a bit. Now, by the same token, a defensive follower would be highly apt to provide supporting fire, and a utility follower can be a field medic or a mechanic for that uh, perhaps clone squad that's out there uh, you know, and needing that attention. But the power of the squad leader talent tree is about joint attacks and damage, which the aggressive follower is much better designed to help you with. Uh, To be the sidearm to your big gun. The flanker for your melee attack. The supporting fire for your barrage of death. This is Sparta! Uh, Jesus. The gung-ho iguana. The gung-ho iguana to my death blossom. That's right. Somehow we always have to have <laughs> a reference to that. And, and, and there, there it is. Very, very nice. Um, so, okay, the bottom line. To, to follow up or not to follow up. Uh, okay, look, th- these, are, these are a really cool series of abilities. Okay, but before you start building a small army, remember, <laughs> followers use your actions. Okay, and you still only have one swift, one move, and one standard action each round. And this still means, with the exception of an odd talent here or there, that there is only one shot coming from you and your followers' general vicinity each round, whether you shoot it or whether one of your followers shoots it. Um, Having said that, great benefit is to be had, though, with some creative play. Remember, your follower doesn't have to be next to you if you direct them otherwise. Having a warm body by the door on the other side of the room to flip that switch is really nice. A trusted ally to warm the ship up and get the nav coordinates punched in while you race to the docking bay. The big meat shield to draw attacks away from you. But no matter what happens, be sure to talk to your GM about what a follower can and can't do. The rules here have very specific examples, but one thing they don't talk about very much is what happens outside of combat. In an encounter, it's very clear, but outside is someone within their rights to say, okay, my follower stays in the ship, I radio them, and they uh, start up something, okay? Yeah. Well, okay, perhaps, but again, you really need to talk to your GM. They are going to be the final adjudicator here in terms of what your followers can do, and there's a lot of goodness to be had, so take advantage of it. It's a, a new way of playing things out and a rather fun way. So, yep. I like it. I like it a lot. Yep. So, you know what? Do you have any idea what this means? We've reached the end of another show. Aww. I always get broken up about the fact that we've reached <sighs> the end of the show. 
I hate leaving the Gamer Nation, even if it's for a week. <laughs> so, anyway. Those of you, please take a look on iTunes. Leave us a nice or not so nice or whatever. At least leave us a review, please, on iTunes if you can. We'd appreciate it greatly. Yep. Uh, and and of course, if you guys have any questions for the Docking Bay, any topics for future podcasts, and uh, please, you can call in your questions. Leave them live like uh, like uh, Old School did. Fantastic. That's right. Um, of course, you can call the Lose Line, 206-600-5872. And uh, you can, of course, email us, gmchris at d20radio.com. gmdave at d20radio.com. Or, of course, go to the website, d20radio.com slash forum. Sign up. Speak your mind. It is a moral imperative. That's right. There you go. To all of you who pre-show sent bumpers, and there were about ten of them, we will. I'm going to start going through them next week because a lot of them were low on audio, and I just didn't have time to boost the strength before I could uh, put them all on the air. So thank you for that. We have um, a pretty good uh, supply of bumpers going on. But those of you listening after today, which will be the 15th of February, please feel free to call in those bumpers on the loser line. We would really appreciate it. Follow us on follow me on Twitter if you'd like twitter twitter dot com slash gm dave. We have a group on Facebook as well for D twenty radio. Eighty three people are actually members of that group, which surprises me. I didn't think there'd be eighty three people on Facebook, but it's fun. Oh heavens no! <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, you know, for our little thing, hey, it's pretty good. It's very good. Yep. Thank you guys for listening. We're going to be back next week. Where we're going to be discussing the Melee Duelist uh, Prestige class from the KOTOR Campaign Guide. So it'll be tight. And uh, thank you all for listening very much. And, uh, and thank you guys for the any nomination. Whoever got that rolling, I made my freaking year. So I'm still on a high. Very nice. And with that, Gamer Nation, thanks again. I wish you peace, love, and good gaming. This is Kevin, handle Erico on the forums, requesting permission to begin audio transmission of the Order 66 podcast. Uh, this is TK379, and you are not authorized to listen to the Order 66 podcast. Repeat, you are not authorized to listen to the Order 66 podcast. So you are saying I am not authorized to make jokes about GM Dave's microphone sock? Roger, and you are not authorized to laugh at GM Chris's jokes. However, you are still authorized to drink when the hosts make mistakes. Understood. Commencing landing sequence now. The last time I didn't listen to the Order 66 podcast, I woke up with Captain Theros and a massive hangover. D20 Radio, where gamers roll. www.d20radio.com This podcast and related websites are not endorsed by Lucasfilm Limited, 20th Century Fox, or Wizards of the Coast, and are intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. The official Star Wars site can be found at StarWars.com. The official Wizards of the Coast site can be found at Wizards.com. Star Wars, the Star Wars logo, D20 logo, D20 system references, all named pictures of Star Wars characters, vehicles, and any other Star Wars related items are registered trademarks and or copyrights of Lucasfilm Limited, Wizards of the Coast, or their respective trademark and copyright holders. All original content of this podcast and its related website, including graphical, textual, audio, and visual information, is the intellectual property of the Order 66 podcast. The BBC would like to announce that the next scene is not considered suitable for family viewing.
And now, it's time for Galactic Dating Tips with everyone's favorite Zeltron smuggler, Captain Theros. Greetings, party beings. It's your good friend once again, Captain Theros, coming at you straight out of the mid-rim, representing for Zeltros. We have a new question on our Galactic Dating Tips, Calm Frequency. This is from Heart of Ajuyo, MK2. He writes, well, pulling out my trusty old Galactic Gazetteer, it looks like you are on a planet called... E-Arth, and apparently it's a primitive little backwater. Now, normally, I would recommend you just hop in your airspeeder and take the 10-minute flight over to the other part of the continent, and it really shouldn't be an issue. But, like I said, it, according to the Gazetteer, it is a primitive backwater, so I'm going to assume that there are no airspeeders there. Uh, it looks like it's so primitive uh, that they're still in that stage where the name of their planet still means dirt. Well, Julio, to answer your question, here's my recommendation. I recommend you go out and you just become an unparalleled, unadulterated master of the erotic arts, similar to yours truly. So you do that, and then that way, the woman of your dreams becomes so completely, helplessly addicted to picking up what you're putting down to the angle of your dangle to the verve in your swerve so that she can't imagine doing anything but following you to the ends of the galaxy or your dirty little earth uh, planet to uh, to be with you and that way there won't be a distance between you you'll just be together all the time because she just won't be able to get enough now this can backfire if you're not careful as it has again with yours truly I mean you could take this tactic with some super rich princess and then you just have to spend all your time avoiding all the bounty hunters she sends after you following you all over the galaxy trying to bring you back to her palace to become her little nice lady forever so that can happen too you just got to watch out but that's my basic advice for you i hope it helps if uh any of you folks uh, out there in the gamer nation have any other galactic dating tips questions that you desperately need to answer like our poor friend Julio here, then uh, please send your uh, comms over to my frequency at the D20 Radio Podcast uh, Order 66 forum, and I will be more than happy to answer them just as soon as possible. Until then, everyone stay freaky, stay loose, have a good time, and I'll see you the next time you're on Zeltros. This is Captain Theros, over and out. The Daydreaming with GM Dave. Alright, so rain shortens the Daytona 500. And the robot, Matt Kenseth, actually won a race. Can you believe it? I don't know who these people are. That's the black and yellow number 17 DeWalt car, by the way. For those of you scoring at home... 
And on the D20 Radio Network, a fantasy NASCAR league has indeed sprung up and erupted. I really? Had, I had no one in the top 20. Really? Yeah, really. Yes. How do you do fantasy now? Uh, you pick well. the drivers, and if they do good, you do good, and you get lots of points. That's basically how it goes. So That's one race cool. down, you're not too terribly far behind. Anybody who wants to join can do so. Just email me, and I will get you in touch with the proper protocol to get your... I need, I need to start a fantasy tractor pull league. Not enough tractor pulls. Not enough participants. How about like like fantasy professional wrestling? Oh, wait. How about fantasy motocross? So anybody who had the dude that died when he jumped off his bike in midair. Oh, I heard about that. Mm. I mean, it's it's tragic and all that, but I mean, you're on a bike, you're in 50 feet in the air, jumping off your bike is a dumbass thing to do. Sorry, not to put too fine a point on it. Well, yeah, yeah, that's a shame though. I, it's it's a shame it's a shame that Philip you know died. I, that that sucks. But, I know. Eh. I know. Yeah, but my candidate for a Darwin Award. <laughs> there are many. There, there are, are many, many candidates for Darwin Awards out there. There are a lot. Yep. So come and they go. Anyway, so, you know, it's been like three weeks since we've done a podcast together. I feel dude, a little bit more. I know, but Cabo rocked. Oh, it I was know. so good. I know. That's all right. You know, at least you got your luggage this time. I did. I did get my luggage this time. I didn't lose my luggage like I did coming back from Gen Con, which was really lame. Right, but um, dude, Cabo was fantastic. The resort was phenomenal. I'd never been to Cabo San Lucas before. Um, cool. Went, I've been to, been to Playa del Carmen, uh, that area, the, the 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 Gulf, but never to the you know, Sea of Cortez, the Pacific, that that side. And it's fantastic. And I, I'd forgotten, you know, I I grew up, uh, not, I, I grew up in, in here in Texas as far as back as I can remember. But I was born in Seattle. And um, I go back. I got family all up on the Pacific Northwest and along the coast up there. And I, I used to go back a lot when I was a kid. And it's been a long time since I've been back. And seeing the Pacific Ocean, even though it's in Mexico, the smell, the sound, the the way it feels, it's just, it's not like the Gulf. It's not like, it, it's, it's just, I don't know, man. Memories just came flooding back. It just felt like home. It was, it was great. You know, the Pacific is the big lake they call Gitchigumi. Is that a fact? No, that's actually Lake Superior. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, dude, I missed you. I missed you. I missed everybody. I missed the Gamer Nation. So. It was fun. I mean, you missed you missed lots of good stuff happening. You know, we uh, we managed to throw together a podcast that literally was one of those, no, no, no. We, we told the whole chat room, no, 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 no. And then all of a sudden, the four of us that were left in the chat room were like, hey, let's do a podcast. <laughs> I listened to it, dude. It was pretty good. I mean, for for a surprise on the on the cuff of your pants podcast, I thought it was pretty darn With good. No show and notes, no nothing, no nothing. And I thought I thought more importantly, the message was fantastic. And there's been an outcry now to do like an opposite version of it to do like, okay, as GMs, what do we expect from our PCs? What do we expect from our players? And I dig on that. That might that might seriously need to be the subject of a future podcast. Yeah. I would think so too. Look at them; they're talking about Gordon Lightfoot. <laughs> Get you goomy. Get you goomy. Yeah, you know, if they'd have just made Whitefish Bay, they'd have made you know they've been all right. But you know, <laughs> the Mariners all say if they made Whitefish Whitefish Bay, but it is too bad. 
See, no one knows these old references of songs you speak of. Oh, you know. The Witch of November came early. Because I will always love you. <laughs> Here we go again. Don't shed a tear. You know, I hate to say it that I uh, actually like the new uh, Britney Spears song. My gosh, I, I just said it on a podcast. Oh, kill me. How do you even listen to... Oh, that's right. You have a 12-year-old daughter. I have a 12-year-old, um, so I listen to... yeah. Kid Craddock in the morning. Oh, yes. Oh, so yes. Occasionally, the, uh, I have to deal with it. The new Britney Spears. I wonder if Britney Spears would like to throw down some role-playing. I wonder if she knows what a polyhedron die is. I don't think that she could spell poly or hedron, so probably not. <laughs> I'd like to say that. You know, Talk about your amorous role-player. <laughs> amorous role-player. You know, dude, I just... I don't know about that. Oh, speaking of that, by the way, we need um, we need a, a title for the episode, and I I'd hoped it would revolve around that. For some reason, I would, you know, maybe Y equals A over X. Uh, I think we save it for a future episode. We devote to that. Oh, I don't know. Damn it. We let goodness posted what I thought was a good one. It got seconded as well at there, which was um, um, uh, out of order but still following, which ties in nicely and, and kind of you know gives people a hint as to what the cast is actually about oh yeah there you go there you go okay yeah, yeah. That, that's getting my vote i think all right so um okay, okay. gm brev is screaming dave go see the wrestler i haven't seen the wrestler yet although i heard that mickey rourke was like like dissing it hardcore like yeah i don't like the movie i don't care for it it's like oh it's been nominated for yeah, all these Oscars. Oh, I'm glad to be in the movie. I love the movie. It was fantastic. It was a pleasure making. It really is a triumph in filmmaking. Oh, boy. Yeah. Yeah. Mickey Rourke. Golly. Yeah. So, anyway, Dave's list has changed again, by golly. This happens every week. I know it happens every week because I, I, I'll see a movie and somebody will be on there like, oh, my gosh, she just makes, she just, you know. I'm going to make you laminate the list. She makes my little ba- baseball weenie go crazy. And this would be Meg Ryan. Wow, okay. So. In, okay, what did you watch that had what, her on Oh, it? I just, I happened to see Sleepless in Seattle. Dude, or, that was like old Meg Ryan. Have you seen Meg part, Ryan recently? Yeah, I know. Well, you've got male Meg Ryan, and then, yeah, Dennis Quaid screwed up Meg Ryan. Okay, well, yeah, but those are, yeah, Meg Ryan, like, right now, I mean, I understand is, you know, you haven't seen her in a movie in a while, and there's, you know... Yeah. There's a reason for it, but I don't care. I I'll remember the Meg Ryan of old. That's okay. Deborah Messing wasn't that important anyway. Eh. So. I take the uh I take the latter over the former. Mm. Redhead and all, yeah, of course. So There you go. Know. Hey. <laughs> I saw um I saw another uh I saw that shower commercial with Danica Patrick in the middle of the Daytona five hundred, so Oh been, yeah. Hadn't been able to uh Hadn't been able to put that aside here lately. I don't think you ever will, Dave. Yeah, one of those things. <laughs> I don't know. All right, so guess what? Um, what? My daughter's soccer club lost their fields Friday. Oh, dude, that sucks. Yeah, well, this is an ongoing litigation with the church that they lease the fields from. And so... They apparently forgot to make some kind of insurance payment or something stupid. I don't know what. Anyway, it gave the church the ability to sue them for breach of contract. 
And basically, the ulterior motive here is, and I find this really funny that it's a church. The ulterior motive here is that the church wants to place a football stadium there, and they want they want our soccer club off the field. Now, our soccer club was stupid enough to give them a reason for breach of, for breach of contract. So, following the letter of the law, which I find no foul in, they were successful in their litigation, and after years of appeals and blah, 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 they are in a position to have gotten the final award in November. All right, this this November, remember this, November 2008. What month are we in now? Well, uh, February, last I checked. February 2009. So it has been three months since the decision has been rendered. So Friday, they padlock the gates. They say, sorry, no more soccer practice here, which I've been expecting ever since the decision came down. So our president of our, well, he's not even the president. This is the guy that basically owns the soccer club. How can you own a 501c3 company, I dare ask? Uh. I'm not entirely sure, but if it if it goes if it goes further down this course, I'm going to just demand financial statements, and if they don't give it to me, then I have the IRS on my side, and I can go to war with them. But that being said, the dude that basically the money flows to this guy, he in three months does not have a backup plan as to where these teams can practice, and these are. In, in our case, we are the number two soccer team in the nation. And we've wow. got nowhere to practice and no backup plan. Three months he knew that we were going to get kicked off the field. and Or the fields. There's like five fields out there. No backup plan. Can you believe? I mean, I, I, can't, I, I can't believe it. The guy's a lawyer, and I, I, I figured that he was smart. I, I just, you know. I don't understand it at all, but, um, you know, weak sauce. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, uh, I've, I've lost faith in the leadership that is, um, that is at the top of our particular organization and, and, uh, no, knowing you and knowing the way you operate, this would now give you a cause, a, 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 a goal to champion. And I can see you actually trying to take this role. No. Not for this. Not for this? No, I, I, I'm, I'm in a position now where I guess I kind of have to watch out who I make enemies with because the soccer world is a very political world in North Texas. Yeah. And I, uh, the governing body for all these teams, uh, where these teams play is the Lake Highlands Girls Classic League that brings all these 30 or so best teams together. And I sit on the board of directors of that league. And so, therefore, I can't just go to war with a soccer club because I have to maintain at least a tacit appearance of impartiality. Oh, yeah. But, you know, of course, my daughter does play for this particular soccer club, so I can always make my feelings known, but I just I don't think I can do so in a public manner to be uh, ostracizing them, you know. Not that I've d- haven't done so in the last four and a half minutes, but it's well, actually, not it, it's not something I'm going to go to war with, you know. Probably a wise idea. Well, dude, I hope they can find a, a field at least. That yeah, I just I just want a place for my daughter to be able to practice, you know. There you go. So, 
And by the way, on the chat on the chat forums, the, with your talk of soccer, things morphed over to soccer and then European sports, and then people talking about rugby. And someone's like, "Oh, I don't like rugby." And then uh, old school, of course, who uh, lives in Glasgow, basically said, "Okay, rugby's the bomb." And I dare any American football NFL player to watch a game of international rugby and not be impressed. Let me tell you something. Have you have you ever played rugby, Dave? Have you ever watched rugby? I've played a, a pickup game of rugby once. I have I watched rugby when I was in college and shortly thereafter. But um, yes, rugby is. Uh, in fact, I even owned rugby for the Xbox. Remember when they did the EA did rugby 2006 I mean, it was, or whatever? It was so hard to find too, and it was great. I loved that game. I played the heck out of that game, and then it, and then they made it for like two years, and it never came out again. It never came out again. Okay. Um, when I was a freshman in college. Um, you know, you're walking around on campus, and you're like, you know, hey, man, you want to sign up for the 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 you know co- collegiate butterfly collecting team, you know, or the <laughs> um, I I I went through and actually looked at all of them, and I got suckered into rugby, all right, because it looked awesome. I did it for a semester, and I was so bad, I was like a third stringer for this intramural league, <laughs> nice. but. I got cut after I missed three practices, and this was late uh, late in the semester. Nah. That that was the craziest thing I've ever partaken in, and those guys are insane. I, absolutely insane. I saw a human being get thrown through a chain-link fence, actually break it with his body, get up wipe the blood out of his eyes from the multiple gashes that were on his forehead, pull his ear tie down just a little bit more to kind of stop the bleeding, and then rush right back into the game. And when it was done, he had to go to the hospital and get like 16 stitches. Um, those guys are insane, and they're huge, and hardcore, and rugby rocks, so yeah. They're men when manly men. They're men. Men, they're manly men, men. they're men, men in tights, men, they're manly men. men, they're men in tights. But yeah, there's lots of manly sports out there, um, but rugby, you know, hey, there, there ain't no stopping it, you know. American football is fun, but I've said this before and I'll say it again. You know I'm a huge hockey fan as well. American football is great. I love it. It's fantastic. They play once a week. Now, granted, when they play, they get the crap beat out of them, but then again, so do rugby players, so do hockey players. And they play many times a week, as do baseball players, which is about the only thing, like, physically draining I can see in in baseball and I yes I have played it but compared to other sports basketball good god okay you play multiple times a week running up and down that damn court so you know um uh, oh all right metal pnx is in there saying go wings yeah whatever okay yeah whatever I I was I was a north stars fan before the franchise moved to Dallas and when it came I danced a jig I was a kid and I danced a jig so it was happy happy time happy time for GM Chris yeah that's what I'm talking about right there there um, but yeah, yeah, so happy time my, is good time. My rugby, my rugby experience. So there you go. It's uh, it's right there. That's my horrible Scottish accent, old school. Gee. I'm so sorry. Gee, God, I'm so sorry. <laughs> no wonder we're losing him. We're losing him in droves out of the chat room. Yes, they're leaving in droves. Yes, I know. So Maybe. I have been playing the greatness that is FIFA Soccer 2009 Ooh, for the okay. Xbox 360. Oh, yeah. Ah, uh, I've created my own little player, and I'm, like, going through where I play my player the entire game. You know, you don't switch players and, you know, switch player to just to get the player that's on the ball. I like I like have to mark, 
and I have to be in position and they grade me down or they grade me up if I'm in position or if I score or if I, you know, whatever, whatever. This is greatness. I told my daughter that she needed to learn. And she said, no way I'm going to learn from a video game. I said, I beg to differ because, I mean, I'm playing a left attacking midfielder. Mm-hmm. And um, I just, I don't know, man. It, it really is neato to sit there and just like make your player better and better and better. And of course, I, I chose the, uh, the Premier League. I wasn't going to start with FC Dallas or something here local, the MLS, because all the teams suck in the MLS. And nor was I going to do the cheese out approach and just pick David Beckham. So I made my own player on Liverpool in the Premier League, and we were dominating. We've only lost one game. And that was, of course, to Manchester United, those bastards. Oh, oh. I know. So, you know. Oh, well, um, let's go on to know what positions I played in rugby. Well, again, for the brief time, I actually was able to get out there and actually play. Um, it was either inside center or outside center, depending on what was going on. You were the number nine. <laughs> no, actually 12, 12 or 13. Uh, okay. <laughs> Whatever. So, there you go. Drove is the past tense of drive. Thank you very much for clarifying that, cat. I appreciate that. So, English degrees go. <laughs> I don't know, man. I don't, you know, I have really wanted to play minis. I'm listening to these freaking podcasts. <sighs> and now yeah. all of a sudden, I've got the urge to play minis. You used to play a lot, Dave. I know I used to. I had a whole buttload. Well, you have all my minis. You use them for the campaigns and stuff, but I, I do. But I mean, I I played back when they first came out. You know, didn't, you even, get, these... didn't you even get the ad out when it came out? No, I didn't. No, I didn't go far enough Not to do yet. that. Okay. No, but um, I mean, I had I had a lot of good stuff in there. You know, Grievous's wheel and all that. But uh, so much has come out, and I'm way so I'm, I'm so far behind that it's just yeah, I can't. But um, I just want to. I want to play some minis. So maybe one day we can get Brev to play some minis, and who knows? I'm sure his wife would appreciate us using them. So. Yeah, get him out of the house. That's right. So maybe <laughs> Friday, we're gonna have a game session Friday. So. Oh no no no! I might I might be out of town. So we'll 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 see on that. There's there's still there's still out uh out out, out and abouts. So as on, much as you gave on, as much as you ragged me for being the last one to actually yeah, confirm for I know, Friday, I know, yeah. I know, I know, I know. Mm. Uh, yeah. So uh well we'll see we'll see. Uh, That's alright. That's fine. I have I have I have storm spotting school on uh, Saturday morning at eight, so I was gonna have to call it a night early anyway on Friday night, so it's all the better if we don't play. Well, we'll see. I, I might, I might be able to, and if we are able to, um, uh, Duncan uh, Vaderson is actually has possibility of being in town Friday night, and if we are playing, I've got to have him over, and uh, maybe he can can join us or sit in or do something like that. Well, that sounds good. So, it sounds yeah. good to me, man. Sounds good. So, all right, man. Well, after an hour and forty minutes, I'd say it's about time to end the show. Oh, I think so too. Beautiful. <laughs> Beautiful. Well, Gamer Nation, again, thank you very much for allowing us to invade your personal space. Space. Ugh. So, <laughs> stay hard, keep jamming, and we'll see ya. And make sure and keep those dice rolling.